Welcome to the Distrust and Disparities Podcast, Voices from the Margins of Healthcare. On this podcast, we will explore both current and historical cases of medical injustices within the American healthcare system. We will get into how we can overcome this systemic mistreatment, advocate for ourselves, and close the gap on poor health outcomes and disparities. I'm your host, Jasmine Moore, a registered nurse, and I am joined by my co-host and good friend, Camille White. On this week's episode, we will be discussing domestic violence and Black women. We will cover Marissa Alexander's story, a Black woman sentenced to 20 years in prison for protecting herself from her abusive, estranged ex-husband. Hey, Camille, how are you? Hey, Jasmine, I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm good. I am really excited that we are starting our first episode. I'm excited to get into today's episode. Yes, it is really exciting. And we've been working hard on this. And this has been a long time coming. And I'm so glad that you asked me to be your co-host. I'm so excited that we are starting. And I'm so excited for our listeners to join us on this journey. Yes, I hope people can walk away from this podcast having learned something about be it the people that we're discussing in our main stories and focusing on or the organizations that we're shouting out that are doing great work. Let's get into this week's episode. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So this episode, we're going to talk about a domestic violence case. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we was doing research, looking up a case that we wanted to, you know, bring to the podcast, I came across like just like some interesting facts just about like domestic violence. It's just crazy to just looking at the history of domestic violence <clears throat> reform up until like the 1940s. You know, it was just socially accepted to beat your wife you know just looking at like the history like yeah especially just women being considered property we're not seen as like fully fleshed out human beings with rights it wasn't up until like the 1940s when you know domestic violence or intimate partner violence was you know considered a crime Mm -hmm. yeah and then even like going until like a federal level in 1994 with Congress passing the Violence Against Women Act. And I mean, that was not that long ago. And finally, you had like the federal government acknowledging that this is a severe problem and we need to put in uh, a law, a bill in place to try and protect women. And of course, there are still so many issues with the system that we have to deal with should we face those troubles um, and who do you turn to? And especially just as black people and as black women, it's like, who, who can you go to for protection? Um, right. Who can you trust? Yeah. It's so complicated. And just like when I was like looking up stories, you know, most people like, especially black women and just like um, people of color, you know, when they're um, assaulted or by somebody that they know, their first instinct isn't to call the police. There's always this inclination to, you know, protect 
the perpetrator. Because it's mm-hmm. like, you know, that fear, you know, you call the police, you know, they could, you know, harm you. Or also they can, you know, harm your spouse. Even though it's this complicated relationship where he's abusing you, you still have that, you still want to kind of protect them in the yeah. same sense. So it's like this hesitancy to call 911. Mm-hmm. And even like... When you, you know, you let your family know in certain instances, they're like, you know, you don't want to air your dirty laundry. You don't want to put this out. You know, it's this, you just want to keep it inside, keep it, you know, close. You don't want nobody to know. So it's just crazy. And then like when we get into this case, when you do, you know, say call the police or something like that, they were saying like, especially with black women, they're this you know, strong black woman trope, they might not see bruises right away. Cause you know, if you're darker skin, your bruises mm-hmm. might not show up. So, you know, the police are looking like, Oh, you know, you don't look like a victim. You know, you don't mm-hmm. look like this. Or even when you stand your ground in the case that we discussed, you end up going to jail or, you know, facing time. So it's just crazy. Yeah, it really is. And it's, it's so unfortunate because you're dealing with the complexities of, people in those sort of relationships where it, it's hard from the outside looking in how people deal with it and how you stay there. But then, and there's shame around it. There's, that's why you don't want to end up telling people, but there needs to be better systems in place, places to go where people can feel comfortable and know that if you're calling sort of emergency services, they're going to be there to truly help you and, and not judge you, not blow you off or, not go after you and prosecute you for something that is just completely ridiculous. We probably can dedicate a whole nother episode talking about just like the complexities surrounding, you know, domestic violence and, you know, um, racism and calling the police. But mm-hmm. let's get into Marissa Alexander's story. And I hadn't heard of this story before, you know, I came across, you know, doing research and looking for cases for the podcast. Had you heard of this story? Not at all. It was it was really interesting and shocking. And it's also the unfortunate thing of like her story is one of so many. But um, I'm so glad that you did find her story and just also the ending of it and everything and where she is now is is just so amazing. Yeah, like you said, like there's probably countless of women that are in prison for the same thing. So Mm -hmm. I'm glad we can highlight this story. So let's jump into it. Marissa Alexander is a black woman who was facing up to 60 years in prison for defending herself against her ex-husband. On August 1st, 2010, Marissa Alexander, she went to her estranged husband's house. So this day, it was nine days after she had given birth to her daughter, who was born prematurely. She was still in the NICU when she went to her estranged husband's house. So like you were saying, she finally decided to leave him and she had to just go back to get some Um, things from the house. You know, she was trying to avoid him being there, but he just happened to be there. Mm -hmm. So even on when she went there, she had a restraining order against him at the time. She entered the house. Her estranged husband was there also with her two stepsons. So she went to the bathroom and I was reading like another article, like her ex-husband had 
saw was like looking through her phone and like saw some text messages. So while she was in the bathroom, he violently came after her while she was using the restroom. So she said he was like shoving and pushing her and just would not let her leave the bathroom. So this went on for about two to five minutes. So she was finally able to get free after like begging and able to like get around him. So once she escaped the bathroom, she ended up going to the garage where her car was parked. But once she was in the garage, she realized she didn't have her keys and she didn't have her phone. There was no way for her to get out of the garage. She basically said she was trapped in the garage. She was in the dark. So the only way for her to get out the garage at this time is basically to go back through the house. In the car, she had her firearm. It was locked in the glove compartment. So, you know, she already had this altercation with her husband. You know, she was scared for her life. She was like, let me just grab this, you know, because I don't know how he's going to act or what's going, you know, what is he going to do? She grabs her firearm. She does have a license to carry. So this is in the state of Florida, Jacksonville, Florida. So she has her gun permit. You know, in a report that I read, she um, was trained by her father who was in the military, you know, how to properly, you know, fire her weapon. So she went into the house. He was supposed to be, you know, leaving with his sons. But once he saw that she was coming back in the house, he charged after her and he yelled what she report bitch, I will kill you. At that point, he basically said he's threatening her life, threatening her safety. You know, she already had the altercation in the bathroom. She thought he would kill her. She lifted up her weapon and she fired a single warning shot into the ceiling. Once she did that, he and the, he took his two sons and they left the house. He ended up calling the police and falsely accusing her of shooting at him and the two sons. So she was taken into police custody for this. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Controlling the narrative of a story where she was literally stuck in a situation of she was desperate to leave, but literally couldn't. She physically couldn't. She needed to retrieve her belongings to then be able to get in her car and go. Right. And like you said, the most dangerous time for when you're trying to escape an abusive relationship is the time that you decide to leave. That's the time that most women are killed or just injured or battered the most. The time when you are trying to leave. And mind you, she has her baby is still in the hospital in the NICU. So she's just like, you know, I just want to get my stuff. And, you know, he's just threatening my life. So she is taken into custody. She told the police that her husband had a history of abusing her. He has a record, you know, a documented record of domestic violence and abuse, Mm -hmm. you know? So she tells them all this. She tells them what happened. Even though she was acting in self-defense, she had no criminal record. No one was harmed. She was still charged with three counts of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon with no intent to harm. She... Pled not guilty, continued to state her innocence that she acted in self-defense. So her lawyer tried to go for the stand your ground immunity. And, you know, in Florida, you know, they have the stand your ground. You can carry your weapon in Florida. Yeah, it's one of those states where, yeah, it's sort of or even similar to like protecting your castle or things like that. Yeah. Yep. So she's in Florida and they have that law. I'm going to point out um, November 2010, her ex-husband 
he did a sworn statement. So he admitted that he was the aggressor in the situation that he did threatened to kill her life. And also he was like, you know, I was so enraged and angry. You know, he saw the text. He admitted he didn't know how he would act. Mm -hmm. He said it was basically possibly, you know, I would have killed her in that situation. He also admitted to a history of beating women besides Marissa, Mm -hmm. like his um, ex-wife at the time. So he admits to all of this. Mm Mm-hmm. She goes to court for the stand your ground immunity because under the stand your ground, if you prove that you are, you know, protecting yourself, you fear for your life, you have, you know, you have the right to ultimately you can discharge your weapon under the stand your ground law. So mm-hmm. she, the judge over that hearing was Judge Elizabeth Centerfit. They denied her stand your ground immunity. They denied the motion. The judge said she could have exited the house through the master bedroom window, front door, or sliding glass back door. Uh, was she exiting with the keys magically floating into her hand and her cell phone too? She's like, oh, you had all these options to get around. You could have did this. But I've been in situations where, you know, somebody, you feel threatened. You have to react instinctly you have like a few seconds to act Mm -hmm. going this running for the window this you know she could have fell broke her neck Mm -hmm. in those few seconds so many things could have happened and and you don't have time like your brain you're in fight or flight so your your brain is just like yeah and she gotta fight to survive uh, yeah she was initially in flight and she went to leave, right. but then like she literally couldn't. So it was like, okay, now it's time to fight because I need to go get my stuff so I can leave. And you don't have time, you know, you in that situation, somebody's in front of you, they're about to, he's about to charge at you mm-hmm. to, you know, take your time and think about where to exits and all this stuff yeah. like that. No. So and even pointed out with the stand your ground law, you don't have to retreat. And no. also Another point, she did not shoot at him. She no. fired at the wall. Nobody didn't, was harmed. Nobody was harmed. Didn't shoot directly at him. It was clearly a warning shot to say, back up, don't come near me, which at any point, it shouldn't be, you know, aggravated assault. And it literally states with no intent to harm. It should have been maybe like a minimal fine of a couple hundred bucks and be like, please don't be shooting up into ceilings. Like, and that's it. That's what it should have right. ended at. Because if she didn't have this, if she didn't have the gun, can you imagine what could have happened? Like she had an incident, you know, where he had beat her so bad she ended up in the hospital. Yeah. So then so, it's just like what what could have happened had she not retrieved her gun and not um, done what she did? Because he he would have he literally said he didn't know what he he would have done. He couldn't control himself and he didn't know what he would have done. So that might have been it for her. Right. And it also seems they wanted her to take the plea deal of three years, like basically plead guilty to this charge and go to prison for three years. But Mm -hmm. she tried to use the stand your ground immunity. Yeah. And especially too, like you said, when this happened, her her newborn baby was still in the NICU you're like three years like you haven't had any time with that child yet and then what i know she also had like two other children as well like she's a mother trying to take care of her children and she doesn't feel as though she's done anything wrong because 
I mean, I don't think she has. She defended herself and she's now trying to get home to her children to continue taking care of them and and proceeding forward with her life and moving past this man whom she was able to get away from once before. And this was going to be like the final time of like, it's done, it's over. She protected herself and now she's able to protect her children. Right. And she didn't shoot him. Like, even in that incident, she had every right to shoot him. You know, he's probably Mm -hmm. been abusing her for years, but she didn't. You know, she has a child with him. He has two other children from a previous relationship. You know, she still, you know, cares that these children have a, you know, father figure in their life. So, you know, she shot a warning sign, you know? Mm -hmm. So, despite all this, she still pleads not guilty. So, since the stand your ground immunity was denied, her case goes to trial. On May 11, 2012, that's when the jury deliberated on her case. So at this point, her ex-husband, he is the victim here. And, you know, she's being charged with the three counts of aggregate assault with a deadly weapon with no intent to harm. So he is the victim. You know, she has to take the stand... She has to take the stand and, you know, prove that she was the victim, that she was acting in self-defense. Even, like, reading her accounts, they didn't bring up the history of abuse. They didn't bring up or barely mention, like, his record of domestic violence. Like, none of this was brought up in the trial. So, was it not allowed to be brought up or? I don't. No, I think they solely focus on, like, self-defense and what Mm -hmm. was happening, like, the day of the event. Mm. So, the jury took 12 minutes to deliberate. And a jury of six people, they convicted her on three counts of aggregated assault with a deadly weapon. So, because in the state of Florida, felonies, charges they have a mandatory minimum of 20 years. So she was convicted, sentenced to prison for 20 years and they denied her bond. So didn't kill anybody, was acting in self-defense. And they literally acknowledged there was no intent to harm. Her husband, he was convicted of, you know, domestic violence and he received probation. Yet... (laughs) He was not harmed in this event. No. And she's receiving 20 years for defending herself. So there was a lot of, after this trial, there was a lot of outcry from the public because it was just crazy. She's the victim here, yet she's being sentenced to jail time. Mm -hmm. This was around probably why we didn't hear about this case. It was um, around the time of the George Zimmerman trial. And this is where we heard a lot about the staying your ground laws. And he killed an innocent teenager. Yeah. Because he felt threatened when, you know, somebody was minding their business and he killed somebody. But he got off. Oh, and the prosecutor against Marissa Alexander, she was the same prosecutor that prosecuted George Zimmerman in this case. Oh, interesting. Right. Her her lawyer was saying when a minority or a woman is claiming that they are defending themselves, they don't get the benefit of the doubt. No, they don't. So that's why, you know, she was denied the stand your ground um, immunity. 
Mm. It's just crazy. You know, and we've seen so many cases. Black people, they have the license to carry a gun, carry Mm -hmm. a weapon, and defend themselves. But when it comes to the court and everything, they don't have these same rights. Oh, and I see the prosecutor's name, Angela Corey, who you said prosecuted Mm -hmm. Marissa Alexander and then also was the prosecutor in the George Zimmerman trial where it's just like, oh, so the white man get to do the stand the ground and murder a child. But, you know, Marissa just shoot a bullet into the ceiling. She could have, what did the judge say, go out a, a goddamn window? Right. <sighs> okay. Nobody was harmed. Nothing. Nobody. Like, it, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't have gone to trial. No, it never should have. It should have. If that, if those charges came across, well, one, I think she's the one as a prosecutor who comes up with those charges. But as soon as that case file came across her desk, she should have looked at it and said, no, this ain't it. Just you want to slap her on the wrist with a fine of like, don't be shooting guns up in the air like that. Sure. By all means. But that should have been the end of it. So, like I said, there was a lot of public outcry over this case because people just couldn't believe she was sentenced to 20 years for basically shooting at the wall. That's what she was doing in self-defense. So, a lot of grassroots organizations and there was like protests all over the country. Like I saw like a lot of like news reportings, you know, people were outside the court and not only Florida, but states all over the country, even internationally, they were like protesting like, this is crazy. So there was this um, group, it was uh, Free Marissa Now. Mm -hmm. And that's where I got like a lot of this information about her case. They were really instrumental and, you know, helping organize like local different activists and organizations. So they created alliance of different organization activists outside of Florida, just like all over every state and even like all over the world to help support, you know, they were having called the prosecutor's office, you know, called the Senate, you know, Mm -hmm. just organizing just to free Marissa. And also like their organization, it was It was a call to free Marissa Alexander and organize towards ending domestic violence and mass incarceration. And, you know, they were just pointing out the victimization of domestic violence victims. Yeah. And they were saying, like, it's estimated that 85 to 90 percent of people in women's prisons have been victims of domestic violence or sexual abuse. So the large majority of women in prison they've been abused and Mm -hmm. like the number of women that are incarcerated for fighting back. Yeah. You know, they should not be in prison. Like that is not the place where they should be. You know, it's not acknowledging the whole context around each of their situations where it's why were they fighting back? Why did they feel the need to do this? And I'm sure so many of them tried to go through what are deemed as the legal and right channels to, to help themselves, to help their families, to protect themselves from their abusers. And that doesn't work. So then it's just like, well, what is she supposed to do then? You know, some women are able to then be like, okay, I'm going to protect myself. And if that means I need to take somebody else out, that's what I'm going to do. And then unfortunately that, that whole context of the whole situation is never acknowledged. And then they end up in prison when it's just like, well, had the right people and systems been in place to protect them in the first place, it would have never gotten to that point. So because there was protests, all these organizations and calls, September 26th, um, Marissa, she, 
um, was able to appeal her case. So they overturned the guilty verdict and she had the right to a new trial. So you would think it would stop there. She's out of prison. But what's what's homegirl name? What's the prosecutor name? Angela Corey. <laughs> Angela Corey. No, she, she just couldn't let it go. Like, I just mm-hmm. don't, I don't know what it was. She could not let it go. So she still wanted to continue to go after Miss Marissa Alexander, even though she was released, you know, the public backlash. You know, they were like, why is, you know, Miss Corey doing the most? Why <laughs> why is she doing the, the absolute most at I this mean, point? Mm, mm. It's other, plenty of crimes and dumb shit yeah. going on in florida please well yes it's florida of all places it's right florida. y'all got so much other shit important shit to focus on like just mm, one of the worst one of the worst energy. karens one of the worst karens i'm sure yes one of the worst <laughs> literally out here just with a whole ass prosecutor job uh she decides she wants to retry her for this trial she is trying to go after Marissa for 60 years, which is three consecutive mandatory minimums. Oh, oh, because like, it was just, the, the three counts of the aggra- Oh. Yep, 60. She wants to give her 60 years. She wants 60 years. years. And no bullet touched a single nobody person. Harmed. No, nobody harmed. Nobody harmed. The bullet went into the ceiling and rested in some insulation. And she wants 60 years. Right. And mind you, in between this time, you know, they, Florida had the stand your ground law. Even in June 2014, they made changes to the law from like organizations and also her case. They expanded the law to cover warning shots. Mm-hmm. You know, before it was just like, if you shoot to kill or you don't have to retreat, yeah. you know, you're defending yourself. They even included firing warning shots based off of her case. She even tried to get another, you know, stand your ground immunity hearing, but even that was still denied. Eventually, on November 24th, 2014, Marissa Alexander, she ended up accepting a plea deal from the state of Florida. You know, just it's exhausting and it's expensive to, you know, keep going to court. And then also you're facing 60 years. Like, Mm -hmm. you just you think the odds are against you. So it's just like, let me just accept this plea deal. You know, even though you're innocent, you just don't want to take those chances ended up in jail. And so many, there's so many cases like this where you end up taking the plea deal, even though you're innocent Mm -hmm. because you, you don't want to end up there in jail. You might not have the, the money to pay for this case. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a lot. You just, you don't want to take that chance. So she took the plea deal. So the plea deal included time served, um, which was a thousand over like a little over a thousand days. And she also had to serve an additional 65 days. And then she also got two years of probation serving house, house detention. So she had to wear a surveillance monitor. So she was... Finally released from jail on January 27th, 2015. While she was in jail, her husband had custody of, you know, her daughter. Mm. And even, I got to look for updates, like when she got released, he still, they had joint custody 
of her daughter. So it's like she still has to interact with her abuser. Right. Her, her estranged husband. Yeah, her estranged husband, her abuser, the one who like landed her in this whole situation in the first place and she still is connected with him in some way and still has to like deal with that and just the like not only like the physical um stress of all that but the emotional stress of all that I can't imagine yeah every time you have to see this man and just the thing you know he abused me physically harmed me you know put me in the hospital mm-hmm. and you know he just had probation but me I had to serve actual prison time yeah while you know he was out free and, and you know he got to raise you know my child during her formative years you know I'm in prison mm-hmm. while he's out free Mm-mm-mm. it's just crazy like this story like you know she shouldn't have been taken into custody you know she should have been released when she was told you know her story that she was abused she yeah. feared for her life mm-hmm. it should have ended there you know if then in situations like that it's okay here are resources that can help you in terms of getting your divorce finalized here are resources of like where you can go to um just get therapy and help um those are the things that are needed in in communities mm-hmm. and in situations like that not where the victim is attacked and charged and prosecuted and convicted of something that should have never occurred. It's always a re-victimization of people and people just don't care. And especially when it's a black woman, people, I feel like more so like you, they literally care so much less Mm -hmm. and it's so upsetting and it's so frustrating. Right. And just the amount of money, the lawyer fees, even you were saying being on house arrest, you have to pay for the ankle monitoring and yeah. that I was going to read um, from the free Marissa now organization after she was released, they put out like a really good statement. They said the absurdity in Marissa's case was always the fact that the courts punished and criminalized her for surviving domestic violence for saving her own life. The mandatory minimum sentences of 20 years and then 60 years just made the state's prosecution increasingly shocking. But we have always believed that forcing Marissa to serve even one day in prison represents a profound and systemic attack on Black women's rights to exist and all women's rights to self-defense. I thought that was like a really good statement. It is. It's very powerful and really points to like the real issues at hand when going from you already got 20 years. Okay, it was overturned. And instead of going like, okay, we'll just go for the same thing again. You're like, no, let's just make it 60. Right. Uh, That's just like super petty. And mind you, this is our tax dollars or, you know, yeah, the people in Florida's tax dollars being spent on cases like this. And this is like a total waste of time in terms of she she didn't deserve any of this. She should have never been put in prison. She should have never been on house arrest. It should have been an intervention at that moment of time of like, okay, who's showing up to, to help her retrieve her items, get her out the house and make sure she could sever all ties. If anything, then it would have also set her up with a 
um, some sort of legal representation to go here. You can prove literally prove that your mm-hmm. husband was an abuser, had abused you. So no, he don't get custody. He don't get any custody. You don't have to deal with him. But instead we get this whole situation and yeah, it is a systemic attack on black women's rights to exist. All that money on this case could have been spent on women's shelter, you know, mm-hmm. hotlines, resources for women in abusive relationships. Yeah. But instead, we spend this money on trial cases to yeah. s- sentence somebody to spend the rest of their life in jail away yeah. from their child while their child is with the actual abuser. Now that we've talked about Marissa's story, with each story and each episode that we want to talk about things, we also um, want to focus on organizations working to dismantle distrust and disparities in our communities. And I remember talking with you about this, Jasmine, with Marissa's story. She came out on the other side in such a beautiful way where now she is an inspirational speaker and advocate for social justice, equality, and criminal justice reform. And she's literally working now to prevent this from happening to other women. And she's working to help other women in her same situation get out of prison because she was there. She understands the whole thing. And she even looks at it as though she went through such a terrible thing, but she's found her purpose. She, she knows what she needs to do and she's going to fight for other women who are dealing with the same thing. Yeah. She was saying, even though she was convicted, she used that time. She wrote a book. Um, she founded her organization to work because she was in prison with so many women that had these same stories. So she's like, how can I, fix this. You know, mm-hmm. her case was receiving like a lot of attention at the time, but she's like, other women are going through the same way. What can I do to prevent this? How can I speak out? How can I use my voice after I went through this terrible situation? So you can go to her website and also there's, she has done lots of interviews and speaking engagement. She also did like a TED talk. So I definitely suggest um, going to YouTube and also just her website and her website is um, www.marissaalexander.com and we'll put that in the show notes but you can hear her story and just how she describes what happened that day just going through the court system and just how our justice system failed her so I definitely suggest you go and listen to her story her firsthand accounts So you can um, just hear her story. And also, if you're interested in having her as a speaker or advocate, you can contact her. Additionally, we also wanted to highlight another organization. It's called Survived and Punished. They're another grassroots organization. I was looking up their information, and they started around the same time working on um, the free... Free Marissa, you know, coalition, they were one of the organizations that was out there protesting to free Marissa. So they believe that prisons, detention centers, all forms of law enforcement and 
punitive prosecution are rooted in systems of violence, including racial, anti-trans, queer, sexual, and domestic violence. Their work specifically focuses on criminalized survivors to raise awareness about the integrated relationship between systems of punishment and the pervasiveness of gender violence. And they aim to initiate mass defense projects that will free all survivors, which will require the abolition of prisons and other systems of punishment. And I like on their website, it says defund prisons, defend survivors. That should be the key message. We should not be prosecuting and criminalizing um, survivors. They also have like other women that are in prison facing the same thing. And they have like, you can sign petitions, um, you can support programs and just get information of other women like Marissa that you can support that are going through the same thing. So yeah, their website is definitely a great resource and they are definitely a great organization to support. And they're at uh, survivedandpunished.org. And we'll put a link in the show notes so that you can go support them. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. We hope this story shed light on the complexities of domestic violence and encourage you to find ways to support organizations working to support victims of domestic violence. If you would like to share your personal story to help bring awareness to domestic violence, please email us at distrustanddisparities at gmail.com. Or if you would like to shout out an amazing organization working with survivors of domestic violence and also dismantling the cycle of abuse, please feel free to email us and we'll shout them out on the podcast. Also, don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Okay. No.